I'm Chuck Smeaton from the Royal Institution of Australia, and this is a Cosmos Briefing bonus episode. Today, we talk with marine biologist James Brown, a pearl farmer from Broome in Western Australia, who was recently recognised as the 2021 Australian Farmer of the Year and winner of the Award for Excellence in Innovation for his approach to farming, his support of industry research and development, and his dedication to advancing Australian pearls as a premium product around the world. Today's interview is hosted by Cosmos magazine editor, Gail McCallum. So today we're interviewing James Brown, who's just won the National Farmer of the Year Award last week. Congratulations, James. Well deserved, we believe. Yeah, thank you very much. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's been quite amazing. It's great. It's the first time the award's been given to a pearl farmer. I believe that your family's been farming there since the 1950s. Uh, yeah, they've been involved in the industry right from day day one, really. So um, uh, my grandfather entered the pearling industry prior to farming. It was established. And then between him and the, the next generation, um, they really developed uh, pearl farming in Australia. Um, which later became quite a big industry, actually, by the 80s and 90s. It was, um, it was a significant fact. It was the most valuable aquaculture industry in Australia for a while. Yeah, right. You're trained as a marine biologist, I understand, and I'm imagining the way that you farm pearls now is vastly different than the way that your grandfather and father did it, even different than it was in the 1980s. Uh, there's, there's certain things that are different. There's a lot more science um, today than there, there probably was back then. Um, however, there's also a lot of things that, that remain the same. So the actual the grafting technique for how you actually uh, create a cultured pearl, um, fundamentally a lot of that hasn't changed a lot. Um, but like I say, there's, there's so many aspects to the industry and there's a lot of science that goes in now to, to every, you know, every piece of, of, of the production chain. So, yeah. It is becoming more more scientific, I guess, as probably most things do. I guess one of the questions we often wonder is if you're um, working on a farm and particularly in a remote area like the Dampier Peninsula, how do you keep up with that kind of science? How do you engage with it and um, help it in in what you're trying to provide? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you're right. In remote places, um, there's a lot of things that make it challenging, like the, the, the issues around... Um, telecommunications and so on um, do make it tough uh, just just the distance away from wherever these normally wherever these centers of excellence are um, but fundamentally you know I, I always say that a pearl farm is like a research station and uh, just about everything we do is is tackled that way I mean we are constantly trialing new things and constantly observing their outcomes and assessing those and then and then changing the way uh we we then farm the following year off the back of it so in many ways it's it's always been like that and i also think that it's been it's almost in our dna uh you know my uncle was the first uh first australian to figure out how to culture pearls so to do the grafting technique and in fact he was the first non-japanese person in the world to do that um before that it was just the japanese and it was really guarded to the point where it was like national law around that, that they couldn't train other people right so that was a um, you know a bit of a breakthrough for us but also kind of highlighted 
the mindset and, and, you know, that's then gone right through, like I said, every step of the industry development. My, my father was involved in bringing in modern vessels. So before that, they were still using these old wooden luggers that the industry had used for, you know, for, for over a century, um, which obviously brought in a whole bunch of efficiencies, but probably most importantly, safety and, and, and good outcomes for oyster health and stuff. So I think we've always been that way inclined. Um, and then, you know, I guess the modern challenges are, are big ones around climate change and sea surface temperature. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the sort of the disease issues that we've been trying to overcome, but I think fundamentally that's probably an outcome or a symptom of, 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 the, of the, you know, of the sea surface temperature rising quite significantly up here. Um, and, you know, it gives you just an extent of, how big that challenge is that's obviously a global issue and a global challenge now um so in 2009 uh when all this started unfolding i actually started a a marine research center at signet bay which is um, not so much focused at pearling but more about encouraging modern science to try and understand the kimberley uh because you know we had been obviously farming and and making a living out of that that you know that I guess pristine natural environment and dependent on the ecosystem services, but ultimately very little is known about it. And what research has been done up in the research centre, James? Um, an enormous a lot in that time, actually. Uh, we we were quickly picked up by the by WAMSI, which is the West Australian Marine Science Institute, um, and. They then funded a well. They were they were already trying to get a Kimberley research program going. They had every university in WA and, and CSIRO and Ames involved, Australian Institute of Marine Science. Um, that ended up being a you know, about a thirty million dollar program that ran over about four or five years. Um, the Kimberley our, our research station obviously played a uh, more of a service provision role to the to the visiting teams and. Um, it, it turned out to be really great because those teams ended up working side by side with traditional owners and indigenous ranger programs and so on. We just basically provided the, you know, the vessels and the skippers and the, I guess the, the commercial marine know-how and all the other support that a pearl farm has anyway. Um, so, so that was brilliant. Um, and, you know, that really looked at broad, um, broad ecosystem or broader ecological things, I guess, is probably the best way to look at that. So whether it be, you know, seagrasses or coral reef systems or reef fish, you know, the basically the way that the huge currents up in the Kimberley are actually influencing oh, yeah. a, whole range, a whole range of other things as well, right, um, which we've found some staggering results. So some of these huge currents in the Kimberley, like the tidal currents, are actually creating genetic fences essentially. Right. So, you, you, you know, we were, we were quite surprised to find there's a massive difference between fish, um, fish genetics, you know, one side of a, a channel versus the other. Um, anyway, so, yeah, a whole range of stuff. Um, and then, of course, then there's the aquaculture side of research that we've been conducting ourselves, such as the, the breeding programs and such. And I wanted to ask about that. Obviously, the disease um, that hit pearls up in the northwest of Australia, or hit oysters up in the northwest of Australia, has been pretty severe and, you know, gone on for more than a decade. You, you guys have done some really interesting work about trying to breed that out. Can you tell us a bit more about it? 
Look, it, it fundamentally, it's 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 a breeding program that's no different to the types of breeding programs that have been done by terrestrial farmers forever. Um, I guess the the fact that we can now breed pearl oysters in hatcheries, which is a sort of a relatively recent development in terms of the industry, that's been the last you know two or three two or three decades that that, that technology has been really prevalent, has allowed us to then um, breed basically family lines. So um, you know you can look for um, phenotypic traits, and of course these days now we work with geneticists that um, that take it to that genetic level. Um, so really what we're looking for is, um, is, is families that will be more resilient and, uh, to, the, to the, the challenges that we're facing in a sort of ever-changing climate. And so um, hopefully the end result of that is just an increase in productivity or at least an improvement in productivity and, uh, you know, ideally one day we get back to where we were previously or even in front. And I guess that's the, you know, that's the question we all ask ourselves, given, given the uncertainties facing us in the future, you know, what, what do you, what, what, what parts of science will you be looking to, to, to help kind of sustain your future possible five years from now? So there's that, there's the, so there's definitely the, you know, the how do you deal with the uncertainty of never changing or a more rapidly changing environment. Um, that is, uh, definitely the greatest risk to to any industry like ours that are just open systems that heavily rely on 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 ecosystem services and, and really wanting them to be stable and and, and, and consistent um, so that that's a huge one and, and on top of the uh, the breeding programs uh, we've also got other programs about basically diversifying that the risk in, 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 in expanding the areas that we are working in um, so we're not, you know, I think it, gone are the days where you could just have one farm in one location and, and you know, protect that, so to speak. I think that's very difficult these days. I think you've got to be a bit more diverse and you've got to be a bit more capable of, 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 of moving um, as, as things change, it's, and, and that's, that's been challenging. Um, but the second one, I think, is also about telling the story better and getting people involved um, in not just the issues uh, and, the, and the positive sides of the products, but also the positive side of the environmental advantages of actually having oysters being farmed. Um, and, and none of that's been told well. And I think that if you can tell it well and if we can get involved in not just proving that we're a clean, green industry, but, in fact, um, what what is the reality of our of our of our floating reefs essentially in terms of blue carbon um you know what is our carbon footprint and can we adapt to the point where you know our systems can actually be capturing more carbon than than, than our footprint that that we generate to produce our products and you know i think those those are actually quite quite realistic i'd like to think that you know in five years time we would either be um completely certain of our carbon footprint and hopefully potentially even capable of saying that we are actually overall carbon sequestration positive and 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 really the industry could then be you know just another part of the the solution rather than you know part of the problem or even sort of saying well we're not really part of the problem i think it's i think it'd be fantastic if we could be in the in the you know 
in the front end of that saying, well, you know, you're not just buying a gem, but you're actually investing in something that's contributing towards positive change. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for talking with us, James. It's been lovely, lovely to have the opportunity to get an insight into something I guess people don't know, think very much about. Thanks so much. No worries. Look, thanks for the time. Obviously, I could talk all day about this, but it's, it's been really great. And so I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Remember that you can head to cosmosmagazine.com via the link in the description for more great content. You can also subscribe to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's only science print magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, our online subscription-based deep dive into the biggest issues. This episode is a briefing bonus that complements our main Cosmos Briefing video webinars. You can register for our next briefing via the link that you'll also find in the description. And remember, if you support science and its communication, please support our work at the Royal Institution of Australia. I'm Chuck Smeaton. Today's interview was hosted by Gail McCullum and our executive producer is Catherine Roberts. Thank you. Thank you.